we opened a youth club and a whole crowd of kids came along. And I noticed one sort of short, scruffy looking kid on the far side of the room that he was like pushing and shoving and, and kind of stirring things up. Mm. And I'm thinking, I've, I've got to get to that kid before something really bad happens. And um, before I could even extend my hand to say hi, he punched me. <laughs> so, wow. so I'm thinking, welcome. I really want to punch you back. Yeah. But, but I know that's not the idea of this, this voluntary Christian youth ministry. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. It's great to be back with another fantastic guest this week. Um, Inspired is all about stirring faith and giving a pick-you-up during the week, whether you're walking the dog or taking the kids to school or, or just uh, in the hot tub. I don't know. But, uh, you know, people are bombarded with bad news and grim stories relentlessly. It's a depressing time and, yeah, we just need to know that uh, there are lots of good things taking place out there. And I have zero doubt that you're going to be massively inspired today because I've got a fantastic guest. His name is Tim Morfin. Welcome, Tim. Simon, hello. Thank you for having me. It's so good to have you. And Tim uh, is the founder and chief executive of Transforming Lives for Good. Not that we're sort of you know, going to overbrag about sort of secular recognition, but I do like it when there is secular recognition because it means that obviously you're doing something really good. And so uh, you're the founder, chief executive of Transforming Lives for Good. You're recognised as the Sunday Times best charity leader in 2019. That's brilliant. Have you got Have you got an MBA and OBA? Any of those? No, none of those things. No, All right. No. Well, that's going to come in due course, I have as, no doubt. As surprised as the next person that I had that kind of recognition. So, um, yeah, grateful for God's goodness. Yeah, brilliant. And I don't doubt that. That's, other stuff will come in due course. Cause, and again, it's just we give glory to God, don't we? But Bradford is where you kicked all things off. And what is it about Bradford? Because we had John Kirby on last year and CAP, and they are one of my favorite charities doing fantastic work. Actually, my chief memory of Bradford was going up there in 1991 for the best music gig ever, which was Bjorn Again. My sister Tracy was at Bradford <laughs> University. So Bjorn Again in the student union. I, I'm not sure. Are we the same age, Tim? I'm 49. How old are you? We are very, very close. So um, I'm 52. And in 1991, then, yes, I was a third year student at Bradford University. Oh, so, right. uh, so what were you at was that gig? I, was I at that gig? Um, <laughs> maybe. No, no you would remember. You can't remember. remember. We were all dressed up in the ABBA gear. It was absolutely wild. Anyway, uh, moving on to more significant stuff. Um, I'll tell you what, I, I know pretty much nothing about your, your background, your childhood, um, any, any stuff of significance there that shaped you? Well, yeah, I'm a Yorkshireman, so uh -huh. uh, born over in East Yorkshire near Hull and lived and grew up there. And um, parents were involved in planting a, a, a new church on a council estate in the sort of late 1960s and early 1970s. So mm -hmm. I, I kind of grew up very much with kind of God and church as a focal point in my life amidst other usual kind of teenage stuff. And yeah, I think my dad's real hope was that I would lead that church with him. And yeah, in so many ways, what I know of leadership really can be traced back to what I saw in him. 
Great. Some of my earliest memories are, you know, kind of Saturday mornings, we'd go down the church and be doing the maintenance and Sundays would be all about doing all that we could to make Sunday a success for everyone who was there. So it was just, I guess, a rhythm of, yeah, serving and particularly reaching out like the Brands Home Estate on the edge of Hull had been sold to local people as the sort of utopia um, the place to move to if you are leaving the kind of bombed out center of the city of Hull. But it was far from utopia. It, you know, there was massive unemployment there in the 1980s when I was a teenager. And yeah, it was a hard, hard place. So that was formative. And the relationship with my dad, mum and dad, but particularly the closeness to my dad was, yeah, significant for me as a leader. Mm, that's beautiful. I wonder what his secret was to get you, you guys, you know, working. Um, anyway, so you was it sort of faith by osmosis then? Well, there's a sense in which, yeah, I grew up with that understanding that God was real and there was an integrity. So my parents lived out what they spoke out. I remember moments through those growing up years of just seeing God really break in and break through. One of the stories that I remember as a 12-year-old kid, we'd taken a really kind of battered car to the south of France on a holiday. Mm -hmm. The car had broken down and I just remember my dad saying, well, the first thing we do is pray. And so he um, had us pray. And we were in a British-made car in the 1980s and we'd made it to the south of France. The chances of getting back, well, who knows? Um, but we found ourselves um, standing in the queue at the caravan site um, next to someone who heard the conversation of my dad explaining, our car's broken down, we really need some help. Uh, the lady said, well, my husband's a mechanic. He's got the same car that you've got. He's, let's go and meet him. We met him. He said, oh, yes, I can do what we need, but we need a part that is very, very difficult to find. We called the garage. The part was, well, there was one part that had been ordered for someone who hadn't then collected it. So we just found God providing an answer to the prayer that as a 12-year-old kid, I'm like, how did that just happen? Mm. And then, well, just beginning to put that kind of, outrageous faith into practice in my life and see if God came through. And, and over the years, God continues to come through. So yeah, formative experiences that shaped my own faith. Mm, I love those looking back on key moments when they're just undeniable God coming through. So um, straight to university, straight to Bradford University after school? Yes, that's right. Um, arrived in Bradford, never for a moment thought I would stay. This city that has, in a really crazy way, become home. And yeah, had, I guess the first year of uni was a kind of year of freedom, no expectations of parents or anyone else. But, but thankfully, I connected um, with good friends, Christian friends through the Christian Union, 
joined a church. I'd kind of come from an evangelical, independent evangelical church, mm-hmm. really kind of big on the preaching of the word of God and the sharing of the gospel, but not hugely big on the things of the spirit. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's fair to say. You know, there was then in landing in Bradford in a small Pentecostal church, I had a really different type of church experience. And yeah, that began to shape my faith in in really new ways. I think the fervency of that expression um, of, of, of faith, prayer, long, long prayer meetings. That's what I remember mm. going um, into the night praying, but with real expectation that God was going to move and, and then seeing that begin to happen. And that really was, I think, just how my heart was grabbed for the city of Bradford and in particular for the young people. Mm. Funny enough, I mean, my experience is very similar in terms of uh, background and then going to Loughborough University and uh, ending up first first day uh, at a Pentecostal, Elim Pentecostal church. And a, a guy at the front row was <laughs> delivered of a demon right in front of me. And yeah. I was like, welcome to Elim and welcome to Loughborough. And, um, and funny enough, a, a few weeks ago, I was at a conference and a bloke sat down next to me at breakfast and nothing familiar about him, but name tag. Roy Monks. I said, Roy Monks, he'd baptized me 28 years ago at that church. It was <laughs> phenomenal. Anyway, so uh, was it obvious post-degree that you're going to end up doing what you're going to do? Because didn't you actually end up in the corporate world for a bit? Yeah, so came to the end of fourth year of uni and just really sensed God's call, God's kind of stirring to stay in Bradford. That that was a hard hard decision because I knew that it would have really big implications in terms of my future, but also in terms of the hopes that my mum and dad had. So I remember going back, it would probably have been April, May time of final year. My dad was home. He would often come home for lunch from from the office because he, he worked quite close by. And somehow we ended up talking over lunch didn't have long to talk, but just to say, yeah, I think I'm going to stay in Bradford. And what I remember about that is that he's, he was then heading out to work back to the office in the afternoon. I remember us just embracing um, each other, both crying, weeping, just a massive moment of, yeah, I think having to sever some ties, having to cut across some expectations that my folks had, I guess, their hope that I would be back serving with them um, as part of that church on Brand's home in Hull. Right. And yeah, a moment of having to trust, yeah, that this was what God was saying. And when it comes to Bradford, then there isn't a lot here that would appear to be attractive. I mean, it's we're in the Dales. <laughs> um, there's plenty of beautiful people. Yeah. But if you were choosing a place to live, to raise a family, um, this the inner city of Bradford might not be the place. Yeah. Um, but it was where I really sensed God was stirring and calling. So I, I got a job with GlaxoSmithKline mm-hmm. um, just big company that had some jobs in the north. And so, yeah, that's what I did. 
And can you see how God wove the tapestry of that job in, in terms of equipping you for what you've done since? Well, I can now, Simon, but yeah. <laughs> I couldn't at, at, the, at the time. Certainly the first six months I hated. I was on a five-week residential induction and for all of those five weeks, I was just hatching a plan of like, how quickly can I leave? This, this is not me. It's not what I want to do. Uh, and it took me six months or more to begin to embrace the thing that, yeah, I, I, I could see fitted really well. It was uh, home working. It's like a home-based job back, you know, we're talking 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, that wasn't so much a thing. So being able to work from home was like massive flexibility, enabled ministry in, in ways that other jobs wouldn't. And yeah, I went on to do a range of different roles, sales, marketing, project management, leadership development, that kind of thing, which... Yeah, nine years of that was truly foundational for, for the work of TLG, but it, it took me quite a while to see that. Mm. Any key moments of those, of those nine years? Oh, uh, you know, I think just living out faith in the context of, of, of that kind of workplace gave so many opportunities to, to, to be there with people. So we would gather. So I was working with sales teams. So we'd often gather for sort of residential events. So there'd be lots of time, lots of people drinking lots, uh, lots of conversations, lots of fun things to do together. I mean, I was, at the time I was teetotal. Right. Um, so <laughs> I had six or seven years of not drinking alcohol, which is kind of pretty much the six or seven years that drinking alcohol would have really helped me to blend in. So, right. so we had lots and lots of banter. Um, I've lost count of the number of pints of milk that I would be bought in <laughs> the different pubs that we went to. But you know, what is great is, um, well, I've got friendships that have journeyed on from that time. One lady that I worked with, um, when she had her kids, just started to ask some questions about who is God because her kids were starting to ask her those questions and she didn't know the answers. Mm -hmm. And so she came along to an alpha course at our church, um, accepted Jesus and yeah, plugged Lovely. into the Anglican church in her village and yes, continued to, to serve and be part of the mission there. So yeah, it, it was... It was great to to have that grounding and just yeah through working life to be able to be Jesus um, in yeah some places with some people that yeah otherwise I might not have been. Mm, wonderful. So did you always have transforming lives for good in you? Was it sort of embryonic? You know, was there a catalytic event where you thought oh, I've got to do something about this? I always had a sense that the business career was only going to be for a time. Um, back in the day, there's a song, um, I want to serve the purpose of God mm -hmm. in my generation. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes on to say, I want to serve the purpose of God while I'm alive, alive. and to give my life to something that will last That's forever. Mm -hmm. And 
I just had that kind of in my heart that that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to give my life to something that would last forever. So as a young man, like early 20s, in a relatively traditional Pentecostal church in inner city Bradford, I was invited into the leadership. So I became a leader in this church along with, with others. And the pastor there, uh, Pastor PV, Peter Vincent, was just, again, fantastic influence, um, passionate man of faith with a heart for the church to change and become relevant to the community that we were in. Mm -hmm. And I think what was interesting, you know, Pastor Peter, over the course of several years, really was nurturing me towards ordination and towards church leadership. And, you know, I think he was thinking about succession and who would follow. And, and there were some prophetic words and there was some kind of call to that. And it's really hard to work some of that stuff through <laughs> when in my heart that wasn't what I sensed God was saying. And so people that I was respecting were calling me um, to an outworking of faith that, that wasn't the thing that I sensed was, was right. And I think, you know, what was maybe happening for them was that they they had sort of one channel through which <laughs> you served God. Mm. You know, you kind of were called to be a church leader and that was how you did it. But I would pity any church that I was leading, really. I'm not the most pastoral. I'm, I guess, the big picture visionary leader. And yeah, maybe that works if you've got people around you to kind of tidy things up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't run with that calling, but I did, yeah, know that I had to run with God. Mm. Yeah, we are, I think, very similar. I thank the Lord for Paul Tilbury, my colleague, who picks up all the pieces and tidies things up from my big picture, sort of uh, 30,000 feet view of, you know, seeking to be transformational in Burundi and the stuff that we're involved in. So, yeah, you, you're part of this church, and, and basically what started out very small has become massive. Tell, tell us what happened. Well, in that church, we opened a youth club and a whole crowd of kids came along. So you need to picture the scene. We're talking kind of mid-1990s. Uh, one Sunday night, November, crowd of kids, probably 40 kids packed into a space that was, yeah, rammed with young people after church. And I noticed one sort of short, scruffy-looking kid on the far side of the room that I'd not seen before. I noticed him because he, he was like pushing and shoving and, and kind of stirring things up. Mm. And I'm thinking, I've, I've got to get to that kid before something really bad happens. And um, before I could even, you know, sort of extend my hand to say, hi, how are you doing? He punched me. <laughs> wow. Welcome. So, so I'm thinking... I really want to punch you back. Yeah. But but I know that's not the idea of this this voluntary Christian youth ministry. 
how different the TLG story would yeah. have been. Um, but that that boy um, I got to know was Lewis, and he lived with two sisters and a brother and his mum in a small house on the local estate. Mm -hmm. And it was a house where there was a lot of conflict. His mum's boyfriend uh, was in and around the house. Um, that was difficult. There was often not enough money, sometimes not enough food. And I got to find out that things for Lewis were really tough. So we met when he was 12. By the time he was 15, I just realized that he'd stopped going to school. So mm. he's sort of finishing year 10. He'd stopped going to school. The school had stopped looking for him. Mm -hmm. And again, a bit of a, like a Holy Spirit, sort of what are we going to do about this kind of moment, really? And so with others, we approached the school and just offered as volunteers to get alongside Lewis. Mm. And really just in that story was all of the seeds of what TLG has become. As we started to help him, we realized he just needed a friend who mm. could be there, listen, help him process, help him think about how he was going to act and react. Yeah. You know, his thing when he went to school, he, he knew exactly what to say and who to say it to, to, to guarantee that he'd be sort of out the door by 9.30, you know, any day. So it was helping him think through some different approaches. But as we did that, you know, that whole family opened up to the love and the care of the church. It was amazing to see his two sisters and his brother connected to the kids' ministry. His mum started to come along to social activities of the church. And Lewis himself, as a teenager, one Sunday night, responded to say that he wanted to follow Jesus. Mm. And it was just like, we talk about bright spots, you know, in our work and, and, and looking to kind of grow the bright spots of, of what God is doing. And, and that was just one huge bright spot of oh. just seeing the power of God through the church, changing the destiny of children and families. And I guess coming back to that song, you know, being involved in, in purpose that is going to last forever, that is going to be transformational right now and for eternity. So, yeah, that's, that's where TLG began. We, well, we went on a journey beginning as a small charity. It was only ever a vision for Bradford. Mm -hmm. But yes, you know, things, things grew and, and it's been an adventure from there. Mm. That was 23 years ago. Wow. Um, again, I mean, similar. I was 24 years ago that I went out to Burundi. So, and now you've, were you sort of invited to get larger or you just felt the needs were obviously not Bradford only? Did you just feel pushed out, propelled out to address it nationwide? Yeah, it's really, it's, so fascinating looking back, isn't it? As we just follow God, just step out to follow God. I left the big corporate job when TLG was two years old. Mm -hmm. So I'd been a sort of volunteer trustee and I dropped my 
paid employment down to four days a week so I could volunteer and we started to employ a youth worker and, and a fundraiser. And the vision that I was stepping into was just Bradford. It was even less, even smaller than that. It was just really that one community in Great Horton. Mm. But yeah, what we saw was um, the need was everywhere. We had churches come to meet with us, talk to us about what we were doing in our work with young people and education. And really, you know, the heart to go do this with others came out of a frustration of seeing how churches would come and see what we'd done, would listen to some of the things that we were saying about, here's a way you could do it. And then for a variety of maybe good reasons, not manage to execute that plan mm-hmm. with quality and excellence and in a way that was really going to be transformational. And having seen that a few times in 2005, we just began to talk and pray about, well, what is God saying to us about what we do with what he's given us? Because these programs that we've developed are, are God-given. So, so 2007, we began, partnered with the Salvation Army in Aston mm-hmm. in North Birmingham. And 2008, went down to London to, to Lambeth. And later that year, partnered with The Message and Christ Church in Harper Hay in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Um, and TLG began to grow, just, yeah, equipping local churches, really just trying to do what we had done and replicate what we'd seen God do. So, yeah. Hi, folks. This podcast comes out under the auspices of Great Lakes Outreach. And over the next few weeks, over the Easter season, we're doing an appeal for a fantastic project. We are building a pastor's retirement village in Karuzi in Burundi, basically. They are often these pastors left on the scrap heap of life, having given their everything for decades. There's no social security, there's no pension system in Burundi. And unless their family take care of them, they can end up absolutely destitute, hungry, and even regretting that they gave their life to ministry. That is so wrong. And so we are looking at buying 17 and a half hectares of land, which means that the whole project will be self-sustaining. For 25 pounds or $30, you could buy 100 square meters. And that is a gift that will keep on giving for decades to come as every harvest season, fresh crops will be grown and provide for these precious people that gave their whole lives to ministry. It's a brilliant project. I'd love you to be a part of it. Just £25 for, for or $30 for 100 square metres or more. Uh, go to greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash pastors. That's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash pastors so that we can honour those who honoured him. I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or with their children begging bread. That's what I want to be contributing to. Great idea, brilliant vision. It's going to happen. Do you want to be a part of it? Please do. All right, let's get back to the podcast. A lot of people don't live in deprived areas and so might not be aware of the problems. Have you, have you got stats to hand on, on, on how bad things are? Yeah, indeed. And, and that was my experience too. So although I'd spent a lot of time on Brand's home, we didn't live on Brand's home. We lived in a small village called Dunswell, just outside Hull. So, you know, my school life, I didn't have that 
awareness and it was really only in the kind of church context. And then in Bradford, yeah, just discovering these huge needs. I mean, if right now, if we bring it up to date, um, we have 4.3 million children living in relative poverty in the UK with the impact of the cost of living crisis and the fallout from the pandemic that's forecast to go to 5.1 million by the end of next year and the impact of poverty is enormous for kids like parents so many parents do a fantastic job of actually sacrificing their own well-being we know that one in three parents on low incomes will skip meals in order to provide food for their kids. Mm. And so parents go to great, great lengths to sacrifice. But actually, one of the things that is really common when we talk to children about their experiences that they worry for their parents, they are worried. And that pressure on families is Mm. huge. And then when we think about school, I used to think that school exclusion was only something that happened to teenagers like Lewis. So, you know, 15 years old and excluded from school. But the reality is that, well, there are 330,000 exclusions given to kids in our schools. But if you are living in poverty, you are four times more likely to be excluded. And if we know that education is one of the few things that really changes our life chances and our prospects, then Mm -hmm. how crazy that the kids that need that the most are much more likely to be denied an education that meets their needs. And these issues are happening and impacting kids younger and younger. So 26,000 different primary age kids in England alone were excluded from school in the the last academic year. Mm -hmm. 26,000, like four to 11 year olds. Um, 3,000 of those were were ages four, five and six. So in nursery reception and year one. And those exclusions range from a day to a week to a permanent exclusion from school and the need to find a new school and restart your school career. And that kind of disruption is in many, many cases just hugely damaging for Mm -hmm. children, for young people. It's a crisis for the whole family. And yeah, unfortunately, these um, issues are growing and that has continued to be the case and so yeah there there is a huge need in the whole of the 23 years i guess you know we i'm i'm definitely saying in 2023 it's not been as bad as it is now and and that is a reflection of where our society is in terms of poverty but also the changes in the school system that have made it very, very difficult for maybe up to 10% of kids that don't fit the mold. And yeah, that's really tough to see. Yeah, very sobering. 
So, which which makes your work all the more crucial, and I guess that's why it's been all the more um, expanding. And and so, what 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 what's different about the approach you take? Well, I guess ultimately the difference is the local church. So we're all about enabling the local church, and primarily we've got two programs. Um, so we have early intervention. So if we think about Lewis, that first boy that I met, you know, we met when he was 12, but I now know that if I'd met him when he was six, seven, eight years old, it would have definitely been possible to anticipate that here's a boy who is really at risk of Mm -hmm. struggling in school, of ultimately dropping out of education. Um, And so we have a program called Early Intervention where simply we train and equip a small team of volunteers from a local church to each spend an hour a week with a child in school and to do that for a whole school year and every week to be in touch with home. So Mm -hmm. through a text message or a call or a home visit. And that one hour of a caring adult meeting with a child who is identified by the school as someone who is maybe beginning to struggle. There isn't a massive crisis, maybe. Sometimes there is. Sometimes there are really tough circumstances at home. But the idea is early intervention of just being able to be with these children. And it's emotional support. It's it's friendship. Mm. Um, One child said... Having TLG is like having a best friend. Mm. And that was um, a girl whose dad had been terminally ill and had passed away. And yeah, Sophie was, well, she said that she would just sit and watch the other kids play and was clearly experiencing a massive trauma in Mm. her life. And so Helen was her early intervention coach and TLG provides training and a whole range of resources and activities to make the hour pass really quickly. And 40 minutes of that hour are just doing things together. It's just making and doing Mm. and building a friendship. And then typically 20 minutes of talking about, well, how are you doing and how are things going? And we've been amazed to see just the difference that that program is making. So we're now partnered with 123 different churches for early intervention across the UK. Wonderful. Uh, We also have that program over in Portugal Mm -hmm. um, where there are 22 evangelical churches. And in the UK alone, every week um, in, well, Right up to date, we have 742 children being coached. Exactly. And that's a, a Christian volunteer as part of their mission on behalf of the local church, serving children week by week. And so we're seeing, thankfully, lots of churches joining this vision and being trained up and seeing that program growing. And then sitting alongside that is a program called Make Lunch, where we are helping churches provide food for kids that are at risk of being hungry, particularly in the holiday times. And again, there are almost 100 churches partnered with us to provide that program. 
um, providing meals for nearly 4,000 children and uh, 1,700 parents and doing that throughout the year at key moments. So, yeah, excited to see the church stepping up. And I guess, you know, your question was about what makes TLG different. And, and one of the key things is that we're so, so keen that this thing that is in many ways sent to harm, sent to damage kids would be used for good, would be used to be a connection into the love and the care of the local church. And so, yeah, we stay really focused on, on making that connection of appropriately helping children and families to connect in to the local church, to make that a place of belonging for them. And so many of them also then going on to explore faith, develop their own faith. And, and we're seeing that across the country right now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're seeing um, 900 different children and family members right now connected into a local church family as a result of the TLG programs over this last year. Mm. Oh, damn, wonderful. And because you've been at it 23 years, some of those kids are obviously now adults. They've, they've grown up. And, and can you share a few stories of ones that you're still in touch with? I mean, I, I, I just think of, uh, I love what uh, Zainab said, a former TLG student, she said, TLG made sure that my life did not end statistically, which I presume she's talking about dying, um, made, made sure that my life did not end statistically how it was supposed to end. It did not follow that path. Even today, I remember all the small things they did. I mean, that's beautiful. Can you give us some, some more stories of lives that clearly been radically transformed that are destined for, for total grimness uh, that are now doing, thriving? Yeah, well, if I tell you about, about Danny, um, mm -hmm. a young man who came to our um, Bradford Center um, back in 2008, who was experiencing physical violence and abuse at home, and who then translated that into violence in school. Mm -hmm. um, he was acting out what he was receiving and what he'd experienced. And unsurprisingly, yeah, he was excluded um, for some of those behaviors. And so it was really through the um, support of TLG, firstly, just providing a safe place, but then providing that connection and a place of belonging um, that Danny was able to discover some different approaches and most importantly, to be able to talk about what he was feeling, to process the pain, the hurt, the emotions that he was living with. So he's a young man who went back to school. He says that, you know, instead of slamming doors in the faces of teachers, he was holding doors for teachers. Mm. And they said that they didn't recognize the boy. Um, that went back to school, um, having left school under such a cloud. Mm. He went on to university. Um, he went on to start his own property company. Um, and yeah, he's now also taking time to support young people who have very much been in circumstances like those that he was in. Uh, we were excited just to see him 
journey in faith, mm-hmm. come to know Jesus, uh, be baptized. And yeah, he, he's a regular part of just sharing his story, uh, the story of TLG. Mm. I guess um, the other person we've spoken about in this conversation is Lewis. So this is where, Simon, I do feel 52. I feel very, very old because um, <laughs> I, I met this boy when he was 12. Um, he's now a man of 41. Wow. And so he's really become... I guess we would say part of our family. Mm-hmm. So I'm married to, to Ray. We've got three now adult children. Uh, Ben's 21, Josh and Dan are twins, so they're 19. And over the years, you know, Lewis is estranged largely from his family. And so in lots of ways, we became family for him. Mm. Some times yeah he's he's lived with us for a couple of years um other times he's just you know visited hung out with us and it's been great to journey life together you know he's he's a friend we are friends together we journey life together when he didn't go to school the other place he would go is he would go to the cricket ground mm-hmm. and um to really prove that it is a lot about who you know. When he finished schooling, he went to work at the cricket ground. Well, he's now become a groundsman. Um, he's, uh, as of last July, he's over in Amsterdam mm-hmm. and he's managing um, the cricket facility for Cricket Holland um, just on the edge of Amsterdam. Fabulous. And it was just, uh, yeah, I mean, we speak every week. And it was a real joy for my wife, Ray, and I to go and visit him in December, just before last Christmas. And yeah, just see, yeah, the favor of God on him. And yeah, all these years on, mm. um, how his life is really different. So yeah, God has been so good. It's a real privilege when we get to to journey life together in that way. Mm. I think I could be wrong. Have you? Did you have him on stage with you once? I think I've seen you and him share his story. Yeah, no, we've we've done that. We've done that together. Just wonderful. Yeah, oh. yeah. You know, I, I want to share just um, some of my joy today, as we record. So I see you guys, TLG, a bit like. Do you know Hope Into Action? Do you know that charity? Ed I Walker? do love what Ed has done right. and amazing ministry. Yeah. yeah. So Ed is one of literally my bestest mates on the planet. We, you know, twenty. He, he we met in Burundi decades ago, and and uh, and so he in, when we launched. Um, inspired 90 odd episodes ago i got him to interview me and then i interviewed him so essentially he was the first podcast talking about hope into action and out of that hope into action uh, podcast with ed i think i'm right in saying that five houses um have have been established been bought and, ha- and have and now housing people be they refugees or out of prison or for us today that's why it's on topic is um is that today our local church, St. Andrew's Community Church, uh, we've bought a house and two young ladies, 18-year-old girls, are are coming coming out of the care system. They're they're starting to live their new life today in our house. Fantastic. And I'm just so excited about that. So I wanted to share the joy, but it's it's almost like hoping to action do do that for the church. And again, secular recognition, he got an MB for that and and lots of awards for, I think, the Guardian voted in the best homeless charity of the year. And you guys are doing it 
it uh, with children excluded and and again Sunday Times best charity to work for it's just great it's just beautiful so I, I've been so encouraged listening to, to your story I'm, I'm really chuffed uh, on your behalf and uh, and and, and yet yeah, uh, at the same time, I'm like, it's heavy, isn't it? Because the the the, the scene that you've painted uh, with those statistics are really dark. Now, what gives you, Tim? What 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 keeps you in the game, and what gives you hope as you look ahead? Ah, oh, yeah, no, it, it it is it is heavy. There are moments, but yeah, do you know that the Church of Jesus Christ is alive and well, and Amen. is on the front foot. Amen. You know, I, I know that because. Week after week after week, we have churches contacting us saying, help us, train us up, equip us, tell us more about the difference that we can make. Mm -hmm. And I was just uh, a few weeks ago down with a church in Farnborough, and it was just incredible just to hear the way that you would say an ordinary parish church, not in a not in a kind of inner city area, looked to me like a leafy suburb, but actually just how this church had seen a need of struggling children in their community, mm-hmm. had trained up coaches. The school said, we've got way more kids than you've got coaches. The, the church had said, well, let's find some more coaches. And so just ordinary people stepping up to say yeah i could do that yes and 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 that's the thing um especially in an age where so many of us have a day or two a week working from home Mm -hmm. then being able to find an hour you know with maybe our employer's endorsement we're finding more and more people are able to use that flexibility to be there for children and and so yeah, it's the potential that that represents of changing futures, rewriting futures. And we're so encouraged and feel so privileged that God has given us these programs to give away to the church and to equip his bride for, for mission and ministry. So yeah, such a joy. Yeah, and I would love it that if you're listening right now and you thought, oh, yeah, I could give an hour a week. I mean, that's not a big ask, is it? Relatively, it just means one less, you know, whatever you're binge watching, what box set or you know, series. I mean, we could, we can afford that hour. If someone wanted to be involved in the work, what should they do? Yeah, just simply tlg.org.uk. Um, it's all there, early intervention. And yeah, we run partnerships with churches, but... Yeah, maybe just connect with us and then we'll help you connect your church and and build a a small team Mm. of coaches that could serve kids in either a primary or a secondary school. And yeah, we can make a difference. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you know, inspired from the get-go, it was all about glorifying God and promoting other ministries and giving a platform. So, Tim, I don't, I'm not promising you five houses, but um, I would love there to be some fruit out this for you. So if people want to be in touch, basically you're just saying go to tlg.org.uk. Is there anything else you want to promote? I mean, I want to mention your book, Out of the Ordinary, which, which tells the story. And Any last words you want to share? Yeah, I guess just to say that we give that book away. Um, So again, on the website, um, 
It's the story from the very beginning, from those early days of uh, Lewis punching me um, and all that God has done. It's telling the story of what God has done. Um, so you can get that uh, book free, um, ordered through our website. Yeah, thank you, Simon, so much. It's been such a privilege to talk together with you. Oh, mate, it's been wonderful. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. Bless. Pass on greetings to your team and we are cheering you on. We are literally cheering you on. Uh, listen, guys, if you've been inspired, I presume you have, can you give us a, a great review on Spotify, iTunes, uh, share this podcast with other people. It's just good news, isn't it? We, ha- we are bringers of good news and I love it uh, what Tim and his crew are up to uh, and through them you know, empowering hundreds and into thousands of people. Beautiful. Um, if you want to be in touch with me, simongilbert.com or any of the social media platforms, I wanted to thank good old Adam Thomas Steer, my fantastic colleague uh, for doing the editing and Mike Sanderman, lovely buddy, great stuff for the mixing. And uh, we'll be back next week with another fantastic guest. I want to say goodbye now to Tim. Bless you, mate. Thank you. God bless you. And see you guys next week. Toodaloo.